Hey everybody, welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast. Today we're going to be talking about pediatric cardiology update with Elizabeth Wong. My name is Mark Knobloch and I'd like to uh, ask you also to join our conversation at sportsmedicinebroadcast.com also. So our guest today, Dr. Wong, I'd like to thank you for your talk and um, if you could start just a little bit of background about yourself, where you're from, where you went to school and then maybe your interest, why you're interested in how you ended up in cardiology. Yeah. So um, I'm a Texas girl, grown up in San Antonio, go Spurs, go. Um, and I went to Texas A&M University, majored in biomedical engineering because I thought that was the best way to medical school. <laughs> Five <laughs> semesters, terrible. Um, and then I it was worked. a little tired. It worked. <laughs> um, I was a little tired, so I worked at Texas and Heart Institute for a couple of years, went off to University in North Texas, Health Science Center in Fort Worth for medical school, and then did my pediatric residency and pediatric cardiology fellowship at UT Houston. And now I'm here. Um, you know, I very much enjoy pediatric cardiology, like every other pediatric cardiologist in that we're glorified plumbers and electricians. Um, I'm very interested in um, specifically the athletic population because of all of the uh, physiologic response to exercise. Um, we do a lot of uh, exercise training, and so I'm very happy to be here. Well, thank you for your time, and, and thanks for your talk this morning. And for those of you that couldn't join us, we'll try and cover a little bit about what you talked about and some of the, uh, the great facts you put out there. And so um, one of the things is with cardiac conditions is everybody um, – Obviously, there's no warning signs. Sometimes I've been told the first, sometimes the first warning sign is death. Mm -hmm. And so it's sudden, it's onset. So what do you say to a parent <clears throat> who has a child? Uh, and, and, you know, obviously this does happen in children and younger populations, but how do you, you know, what's the, what's the risk? How do you know, or what's the signs look for when, when is my child out of shape? When are they dehydrated? Or when do I need to be concerned about a cardiac condition? Absolutely. And that's, that's a question that a lot of parents ask me. So the first thing is you touched on is hydration because that is very, very important. If they have no family history of any inherited congenital uh, genetic arrhythmia, if they're otherwise healthy, what I always tell everybody is you do need to remain hydrated. So drink half your body weight in ounces on a regular basis, more when you're exercising, um, getting enough sleep. And this is part of my entire visit, um, making sure you get enough sleep. So at least nine to 11 hours a night, putting down that cell phone, eating on a regular basis, eating your vegetables. Um, and <laughs> if all of those things are happening, then the next thing I tell parents, is that in the case that the kids are having a lot of symptoms when it comes to exertion, so in the middle of exercising, if they are having chest pain, um, and that's uh, defined as deep pressure on their chest that um, is not reproducible on exam, um, and especially if they have any palpitations like their heart, and I phrase it like is your heart racing way harder, way faster than it should be for what you're doing and you're getting dizzy or passing out. Those are the signs that you absolutely need to see a pediatric cardiologist. When it comes to a lot of the congenital heart diseases, um, a lot of them are going to be caught earlier because of murmurs. But like we kind of talked about before um, during my talk, there are a couple that aren't going to have murmurs. And so especially this is when the role of the general pediatrician in the 
primary care provider comes in, screening for hypertension, making sure we do a good physical exam, and then referring whenever there's any abnormalities. Okay. So you brought up something too during your talk, and I, I call it a fad, but it's not, I don't even know if it's a fad anymore, but um, it's very common for young people to have their energy drinks. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about how that's problematic, how it gets great business for you, but yeah. what... Yeah. What is actually the problem with, you know, they want to stay up and they want to do their homework or they want to stay out. Where does that translate or how does that translate into cardiac issues? Absolutely. And um, I tell everybody, if I go out of business because you stop drinking so much caffeine and vaping, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I've done my job. Uh, but so any, what, what I tell all my uh, patients is even in a structurally normal heart, I can give you an arrhythmia just by giving you very certain substances, anything that increases your fight and flight response, such as caffeine, um, some substances found in a lot of uh, uh, drugs, um, uh Sleep depriving, you mentioned, you mentioned vaping. Yeah, vaping, sleep depriving you, making you very dehydrated. And so even if you don't have any symptoms when you're off all of those things, it's quite possible that you can have an arrhythmia on the field just by drinking those four Red Bulls and Red Bulls and Monsters. So um, I recommend all my patients stay away from caffeine as well as any other illicit Okay. Substances and get enough sleep. Yeah. And so as a cardiologist, you hear this debate all the time. Mm -hmm. Should every athlete get an EKG or an ECG or whatever, you know, and I know that other countries and we, you know, Italy, for example, they mm -hmm. require it if I remember mm -hmm. right. And so one of, you know, when somebody hears that is saying, why is Italy doing it? Not, why not the United States? Why are we not leading the charge on this? And so what is your, what is your response to those that argue that everybody needs an ECG or an EKG? How do you respond to that? So that particular study and that particular rule in Italy is uh, based on the Minito uh, region, a very small region in Italy that is very homogeneous when it comes to genetics um, and population. The wonderful thing about the U.S. is we are a very diverse group of people with all kinds of ethnic backgrounds. And so that can't be automatically applied to our our population. So um, not every study can be taken at face value um, and readily applied to any pop. That's one of the very important things that we have to kind of look at. What, what, what did they study? Is that applicable to us? Mm -hmm. And at this point in time, that particular study is not applicable to us. Yeah. And, and also it, it doesn't, I mean, it has value, but it doesn't catch everything. For example, anomalous coronary artery. So what, right. what's the issue there? You know, because if I'm correct, we have to go get an MRI to find that. So there still invites other problems, correct? Absolutely. So things like anomalous coronary arteries, um, it's a very rare finding. However, you know, on a resting EKG, so coronary arteries, as everybody knows, is the um, blood vessel that takes red blood and oxygen to the heart muscle itself. And so... Normally, they're nice and open. They go through their usual path. Sometimes they can go through a different path in which the their origin coming off of the aorta can be very thin and slit-like, causing a little bit of uh, disruption to flow. The actual coronary artery can also go through or between the great arteries, the aorta and the pulmonary artery. And so usually with exertion, then 
the heart's pumping faster and there can be compression of the coronary arteries. There's also myocardial bridges. Um, and so on a resting AKG, when you're not exercising, you can have a completely normal EKG. But whenever we get you on the stress test, then you can have ST changes. Sometimes you can have no changes. Um, and then screening echoes are can be also a little bit fraught with difficulty. To be able to see the coronaries, you need a very well-trained sonographer. Not all sonographers are gonna be able to show you the coronary arteries on echocardiogram very well. Um, and then if there's any doubt, then CT angio or MRI is going to be the way to go. So this is why I tell a lot of people you know, EKGs are good for screening for very certain things if they're there at that particular time when you're doing the mm -hmm. EKGs. But there's a whole host of things that cause sudden cardiac death that we cannot screen for e from a resting EKG. And um, anomalous coronary arteries are one of them. So, And so there's a cost involved too is even with EKGs if there there's the false positive issue and so if it if it does show something then i need to send you on for further testing and then the psychological issue and the cost issue oh nope you're all good it was just a bad read or it was in, yeah. it wasn't there at the time and you know so there's that side of it too how do you tell parents that that you know there's a they say well, I think we should be doing this, but what about the other factors involved, the cost Absolutely. and things like that? And there's a group that has really looked at the normal findings of EKGs on athletes. So there are guidelines as to what do and do not need more testing. What I tell parents is that, you know, I can definitely understand wanting to do everything in their power in order to prevent some type of uh, sudden cardiac event on the field because it's traumatic for everybody involved. There's no question about that. Um, but doing a screening in KG, there are a lot of false positives depending on whether or not the reader knows about the um, the the normal findings in an athlete as well as if it's a completely normal EKG and nobody asked the patient or the athlete whether or not they're having symptoms and they have a normal EKG, then they can also go on and have an event on the field. And we did this EKG. Now, there's some false positives. We see them and then we go through months and months of workup and thousands of thousands of dollars and a lot of mental anguish in yeah. order to think they may never ahead. play sports again because exactly. they have heart condition. And that psychological effect is real. Mm -hmm. um, I've had to keep patients from getting their scholarships before and it's heartbreaking mm -hmm. watching that happen. So, you know, these are, you know, there is a very big push for shared kind of consent and shared uh, decision-making, which I think is very, very uh, important when you take care of an athlete, but it still doesn't kind of keep you from the adverse effects of mm -hmm. having a false positive right. on the so, so shifting gears a little bit, we'll go a little less morbid, but you met, you brought something up that was interesting because as athletic trainers, we're always taught, check the fingernails, check the lips. You yes. actually said, check the tongue and the gums, yes. not the fingernails and lips. So what's the rationale? Just Absolutely. a little more obvious or? So um, it can be helpful to check the um, 
fingers and toes. The problem with the capillary beds and the fingers and the toes is they are innervated by your parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. So especially if the kids are really, really um, obviously excited, they've, they're having really bad chest pain, um, then their nervous system can kind of go all off um, and cause some vasoconstriction and cause a little blueness or purpleness of the fingers. The and around the mouth, for that matter, and the lips, those are the one of the most innervated areas of the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. But the gums and the tongue are going to be the most um, most indicative of what your central oxygen saturation is. So we need to kind of just shift our, our um, best practices and start looking at that. And so... Mm-hmm. Do you see a difference in color or is do you see like maybe the, the is, are the fingers slower to turn blue or what, what's the, what are you the looking for? The fingers are going to be a little bit faster to turn blue because they're farthest from the heart. So um, obviously in the case that you have a pulse ox, you put it on and the status less than 90, then obviously they need some oxygen, mm-hmm. like whatever their lips or tongue, uh, sorry, their gum and their tongue looks like. But it's not kind of if you don't have an oxygen saturation, if the kid otherwise looks fine they're, and they're talking to you, they're not complaining of any symptoms and their fingers and their toes are just blue, then that's something that can be kind of chalked up to, okay, we're just going to have you sit for a second, drink some water, relax, see what happens. Okay. No. Well, first, I want to thank you for your time. Yeah. Second of all, it sounds like no vaping, lower caffeine <laughs> yeah. levels and no energy Get drinks. Get some sleep. And just lots of sleep. Lots so, of vegetables. Any closing words for our athletic training audience out there on cardiac issues? Um, I really appreciate you guys having me. I love being able to interact with everybody. And so don't be a stranger if y'all have any questions. You know how to find me. Um, and I look forward to working with you guys. Well, thank you, Dr. Dr. Wong. And so I'd like to uh, shout out to our sponsors, physicaltherapy.com. Uh, for our listeners, use the code one free course. You can also check us out on our website at sportsmedicinebroadcast.com. For Dr. Wong and for for Jeremy Jackson, this is uh, Mark Knobloch. And for the Sports Medicine Broadcast, that is a wrap. <laughs>